Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is from Exodus 13, the Torah portion for last week, uh, which is Beishalach, when he let go. Feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you can see other past Shabbat messages, the message notes, as well as blog posts, uh, feel free also while you're there to sign up for um, email updates whenever these messages are posted or blogs are posted. You will get those in your email. We won't send you any extra junk. Also, there are links there to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, also, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts or some other podcast provider, feel free to leave us a review that would actually help this get to possibly more people listening to it. So, thanks. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and all right, we're going to be in our Torah portion today. If you want to go to Exodus. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Chapter. Uh, we're actually going to be, it starts in, um, starts in 13, but we're going to go up to 15. And start in 23. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, basically, it's a really great portion. They're all good, obviously. (laughs) But um, this one I wanted to highlight specifically because it has the Sabbath in it, and it's where we first, um, well, you could argue this, but generally speaking, it's the first place where we get the commandment of the Sabbath in relation to the Israelites coming out of Egypt, the the manna falls from heaven, you have a whole bunch of things going on, which um, which are really important concepts to be reminded of, uh, and to go over, and to learn from, hopefully, um, and I don't know, it's just every, I say this all the time, but every time you read something, it kind of strikes you a little differently and you see something a little different. Uh, and it's just fascinating to me how that, how that works. And so, um, so we'll pray real quick and then we'll kind of get into this. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would, uh, work it in and through us, that we would learn from it, do it, and, uh, Walk in your ways. In Yeshua's name, I pray. Amen. So you, so it starts out, well, I'll kind of give you a quick short synopsis of what happens. So in 13, um, they, they're basically leaving Egypt. The end of 13, it starts in chapter 13, verse 17, and they're leaving Egypt. And Moses, it says in 19, he picks up the bones of Joseph because Joseph said, don't leave me in Egypt. So he goes down, he picks up the bones of uh, uh, Joseph and then they're, they're heading out of Egypt, and um, it says in 21, Yehovah went before them in, 
in, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and at nighttime in a pillar of fire. And so he, uh, he led them on that way all the way through the wilderness, and, um, which would have been pretty cool to, to see, I think. I don't, you know, I often wonder, like, what did that look like? Was it just a cute, fluffy cloud? Was it, like, really a pillar, you know, tornado style? Or, I don't know, not that that matters, I guess. But I printed out, if you look at the cover of the, our songbook, that's what I picture it looking like. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, that's what's going on there. So then they, um, they, they're getting ready they, to cross the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea. Um, they sing the Song of Moses in chapter 15, and, which is a really important passage, and which we're not going to cover because there's just too much to cover. But then they go, and we come all the way down to... Um, uh, 20, we'll start in 22, so we'll start in 20 of chapter 15. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered, said, Sing ye unto Yehovah, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And 23, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of this place was called Marah. So uh, oftentimes when they name places, they name them because of what happened or what on, went, went on. And so Marah is a Hebrew word for bitter. So I always feel bad. Not bad. I guess it doesn't matter. But people who are named Marah, because it means bitterness. <laughs> but uh, so they, they, so basically what's happening is they're, they're running out of water, basically whatever they could carry with them. They were they were running out of water, and so they get to, they get uh, across the, the Red Sea, and they they murmur in 24, and the people murmur against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" In 25, he cried unto Yehovah, and Yehovah showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and when he had made them. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of Yehovah thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am Yehovah that healeth thee. And they came to Elim, and there were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palms trees, and they encamped there by the waters." Um, there's all kinds of like significance and symbolism and things going on through these passages. Like you have, uh, they, um, this tree that gets thrown into the water and that heals the waters. And, uh, and then they come to a leam and there's 12 wells of water, like the 12 tribes, 70 palm trees, like the 70 elders of Israel. And so you have all of these interesting little, little things that, um, you read over them and you know, kind of gloss over and think, oh, that's neat. But then as you kind of read on through the rest of the Bible and the rest of the story, these, these things are, they have all kinds of meaning. Like, and the Bible is multi-layered like that. And it's really fascinating and cool. So you want to pay attention to all that stuff when you read through these things. So then they, we get into 16, and they keep journeying, and basically now they're running out of food is what happens. So the whole congregation in verse 2 of chapter 16, of the congregation of Israel murmurs against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, 
Would to God that we had died by the hand of Jehovah in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then said Jehovah to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So I find it so fascinating, um, and it's kind of the story of everybody's life to some degree, maybe not unless you're a better person than I am, that when the going gets tough, that's when we're supposed to overcome and rise up in the strength of God, and usually we miserably fail and murmur and complain. And that's exactly what happened to them. And so they, the first thing they say, would to God that we had died by the hand of Jehovah in the land of Egypt. I mean, that's just really turning everything around and throwing it in the face of God. They basically said it would have been better if God had just killed us there, you know. I don't know. That's just quite the statement to say. While we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't know. It doesn't take too much thought to think, well, maybe God thought of this. You know, it's not like God was like, oh man, what am I going to feed these people? I forgot about that. You know, I, but obviously, you know, when you're faced with hunger and you're faced with thirst, you tend to, it's kind of like, um, you know, you have, your kid gets sick or something goes wrong and that immediate panicked reaction, your mind just goes crazy places, right? You don't think rationally anymore. And so you have to, kind of step back, pull back, and, and think a little more clearly about the situation. But what I find interesting, too, is they had, what's interesting is, they had the option to stay in Egypt. Like, they didn't have to leave. Nobody forced them to leave. They could have stayed there. You know, they would have lost their firstborn. Um, but they didn't have to leave. They chose of their own free will to, to rise up and walk out, Right? And so they chose a different path, one based on this hope of freedom, what they saw, the evidence of, of God and his strength and what they saw in the judgment of the plagues on Egypt. And so they had this option to leave because to stay in Egypt, they were slaves, but they had everything provided for, at least according to them. You know, it was an easy life, so to speak. All you had to do was get up and, and go to work, slaving and toiling, and, but you got fed, they had somewhere to live, they had water, and they could stay where they were. But there wasn't any meaning there. You're a slave. There's nothing to rise to. There's nowhere to go. You're not meant to be there. And so you have this option now. Moses comes back to deliver this guy who's going to say, hey, uh, God's you know, sent me to take you to the promised land. Ooh, oh, ooh, wow, exciting. You know, uh, pixie dust and rainbows and ponies prancing everywhere and uh, dreams of grandeur and we're going to be awesome. And then reality, though, is this path and this journey, and keep in your mind that this is really, these, these stories are, are pictures of what we all go through in our own hearts and lives. So keep that in your, in your mind, that when you choose to follow God, um, <clears throat> it's a path with intense meaning and, and satisfaction and fulfillment, but your temporal needs, 
though provided for, it's not immediate. You're going to struggle. You have to face yourself and your own weaknesses. You have to uh, submit. Uh, but you get, the ult- you, you get the land. You get freedom. You get your own space, right? But you've got to fight enemies along the way. You have to fight your own demons, your own, yourself. You have to take responsibility for your actions. You have to submit yourself to certain authorities. There's all this dynamic complexities that go with a life that chooses to serve God because to stay in Egypt, to stay <coughs> in the world and to not follow God, it's easy. It's easy because you just toil, eat your food, eat your drink, and get up and repeat. But there's no meaning in that. And you can drown yourself with uh, uh, immediate pleasures. But to someone who, but, but to everyone, really, that doesn't, that doesn't satisfy. That's why they murmured. That's why they complained. And they, uh, when they were oppressed in Egypt, that's why they called out to God, because they were oppressed. Uh, they were being used for the man, for the system, as all of us are until we choose to serve and and put our time and our efforts into uh, living a life for God. But that life and that walk for God is one that is, um, that requires you to take action in your own life to change yourself. And that's the hard road to hoe. It's not as easy. And so, they get confronted with this fact and they murmur and they say, would to God that we had died (laughs) in Egypt while at least we had some food. So God says, all right, verse four, I will rain bread from heaven and we're in chapter 16. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they walk in my law. So, all right, you want food and you want to come with me? You You want this path of freedom? I'm gonna, we're going to see if you can be responsible. And if you can be responsible in these small things, maybe I'll give you some bigger things, like a pocket knife, right? And so that's why I tell my children, like, they all want pocket knives. I'm like, yeah, we'll get you pocket knives. You show me that you're responsible in your chores, taking the trash out, telling the truth. Then when I know that you can do these simple things, then I'll give you greater things. And so it's the same thing uh, God does with them. He says... All right, I'm going to give you food, but even what you eat is going to be a test, which goes back, what, to the very beginning, right? God gave them, said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. So it came to pass on the, uh, verse 5, came to pass on the sixth day, uh, uh, yeah, and it shall come to pass on the sixth day, that they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So they, um, you know, he goes on and says, well, I'll just read it. Moses and Aaron, verse 6, say to all the children of Israel, and even then you shall know that Yehovah hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then shall you see the glory of Yehovah, that he heareth your murmurings against Yehovah, and what we are, that, and what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, this shall be when Yehovah shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. For that Yehovah heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against us. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against Yehovah. And Moses and Aaron spake unto Aaron, 
and saying, uh, Say it unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Yehovah, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Yehovah appeared in the cloud. Whenever this kind of happens, you know, like, oh man, this is serious. Like, because there's a certain times where, um, I think it was the rebellion of Korah might have been one, where like all the people are rising up against Moses and Aaron, and God, God kind of like comes down or manifests his glory, and the glory of Yehovah appeared, and it's like he steps in, so to speak. To, to stem the tide. So usually something serious is going on whenever you see that. So Yehovah says unto Moses, saying, I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, and speaking unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am Yehovah your God. And it came to pass that in the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna, or manna, for they wist not what it was. Manna literally means, what is it? That's, that's, what it, that's how literally it translates. Manna, what is it? Uh, this is the bread which Jehovah hath given us to eat. This is the thing which Jehovah hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating. And Omer for every man, according to the number of your persons, take ye every man of them which are in his tents. So they gather it up, and you're supposed to only take uh, uh, that which you need for the day, which is an, an Omer per person. It's a certain measurement of this uh, uh, of the of the bread. So, but twenty, notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. <laughs> and Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. When the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for a man. And all the rules of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which Yehovah has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto Yehovah. Bake that which you will bake today, and seed that which you will seethe, and that which you remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So they laid up until the morning, as Moses said, and it didn't stink. Neither was there any worm. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath unto Yehovah. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather. But on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. So they're supposed to gather daily this omer for each person. They couldn't take up any more because if they kept it overnight, it would go bad. And so eat your daily bread this day. And But then on Friday, or on the seventh, sixth day, they were to gather twice as much cook it, bake it, do whatever they were going to do for it, do with it, because on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, they were going to, they, it, was, it wasn't going to be provided. They were, uh, they had, they, they had what they needed for the Sabbath to eat it there, and they weren't supposed to bake or cook on the Sabbath so that they could um, rest on Sabbath. So this is the first occurrence of what you see uh, in regards to the Sabbaths. And so it's interesting that I, to me, that you have it, the Sabbath tied intrinsically to the food God provides them, which is interesting because, you know, what do we work for? We work so we can eat, right? And so the whole idea is you, you, you get what you need through the week so that then you can rest and have food and not have to work on the Sabbath day. And so, because it's holy unto the Lord. So then he goes on and says, um, 27, but came to pass that there were... There went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. 
And Yehovah said to Moses, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that Yehovah hath given you the Sabbath day. Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And they make it, and it feels like, and it tastes like honey and wafers. And so then they, they fill up an omer of it, and they put uh, some of it in uh, the, the ark so that it can be um, kept as a witness for, of God providing for them. And uh, so, you know, you have this, again, this idea of they have to take personal responsibility. They have to choose how they're going to conduct themselves because the journey to the promised land is like a training ground, a proving ground where they have to learn how to live now because they, life has been lived for them basically up until this point. They were in Egypt, you know, food was provided, they were just went to work, they came home and went to bed and got up and did it all over again. But now they have to be um, a part of this whole journey and process and a part of this kingdom and members that think and act and learn how to behave. It's like God's rearing his children, children of Israel, up and training them so that they conduct themselves properly. And one of the first things and one of the biggest things is how and when they're going to eat. I just find it so fascinating, you know, food, because, you know, we all have to eat it. It keeps us alive. And then uh, which and it's one of the biggest struggles in the messianic movement, not struggle, but like big things in the messianic movement. Well, you know, what do you mean you're going to tell me what I can and can't eat? You know, and uh, you know that is one of the hot button issues, right? Isn't that it? Just seems so like it should be so trivial, right? But it's but it's not. It's a big deal. And as soon as you try to stop eating pork, you, you immediately realize it's in everything, or, or bugs, or whatever's in everything. And so you're like. And they put it in everything. And so you're trying not to eat it. And then the Sabbath. You get the Sabbath. And again, it seems like, because in the Messianic movement, or in the, whatever, in this biblical world, way in which we're trying to live, live you know, the bigger things are uh, dietary laws, i.e., you know, bacon and shellfish, um, the Sabbath, as opposed to Sunday, the holidays, no Christmas and Easter, now you're going to do Passover and Sagot, um, see, see, that tends to be another big one, you know, but the fourth one, you know, people pick whatever one ruffles their feathers the most. So you would think like, okay, don't eat pork and shellfish is a big deal. Shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? But it is a big deal, isn't it? Anybody who's tried to change. Sabbath, big deal. Really, really big deal. Because it completely changes the orbit in which your life swings. And you will be in disharmony with the rest of the world. Except for the Jews. And so immediately everybody thinks you're Jews. <laughs> and then Christmas and Easter. Christmas primarily. Easter, like, that's kind of more minor. People don't care or think as much about that one. But, you know, Christmas. Like, even nobody who has any religiosity or, you know, I have atheist clients who still celebrate Christmas. Go figure. You know? So, but, so... You stop celebrating Christmas, well, then you really must be a Jew because, and then we go get Chinese food. So, wow, now you're really <laughs> kosher Chinese food. Uh, so, 
So it completely, it pulls you out of Egypt, right? It pulls you out of the world system, these simple little things. And, but what it forces you to do is take an active, right? You have to be active in this. You can't passively go with the flow anymore because pork's and everything. Everybody schedules everything on Saturday and the whole world stops and changes and gives you time off and Christmas bonuses and whatever else. And how come you didn't give people gifts and what's the matter with you and why are you harming your children? Uh, because you're not doing Christmas anymore. And so it forces you to take an active part, right, in your faith that you say you have. Faith is actually a verb. We say, oh, faith is some like blinky star thing wherever, but it's actually an action that you have to do. And so this is a rough transition because we all were just going along, living along. Life was being lived for us, but, but there's no meaning there and you're just a lowly slave. So you decide, wait a minute, I want some meaning. I want to control where I'm going. I see truth. And, but now, wait a minute, everything's not so easily provided for me. And so it's, it's easy to get kind of frustrated by that, weighed down, bogged down in our woe is meanness, feeling, um, what did Hirsch say? They were mourning the death of their past lives. I'm butchering it. That's not quite right. But these, the people were mourning uh, the death of their past lives. And we do, I do, I've done the same thing. Like, oh, it was just... You know, I don't know if you guys have ever had it, but you get to points where it's like, man, it would have just been easier to stay a freaking Christian, you know? But, and, and it would have, right? But you can't ever go back. It's like going back to a, uh, an old girlfriend or something. He's just, he can't do that, you know? Or, that's probably not the best analogy. But, but you know what I mean? It's like once you've been there, and if you've ever tried to go back, it's just like creepy crawlies. You feel claustrophobic. It's like, I can't do that either. And so you're left with a decision. You know, you have to conquer yourself, which is really what it is, right? You know, life and the world isn't this, this thing acting on us. It's all made up of people and what you decide to do or not to do. And so you have to... The battles within, that's why Paul talks about all of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, and we're, none of us are even hungering and thirsting, by the way, you know. We've got it so easy here. Uh, we have zero excuses of, for complaining. And so he gives them, the, you know, these things about the diet. He gives them the Sabbath, which completely changes their lives as they are now brought out into the wilderness, the wilderness of the peoples, as it talks about in Ezekiel. And he proves, so this is also a proving ground and a testing ground because he wants to find out, all right, you want to come along with us? It's like joining a gang, you know, you're going to be initiated and like, you got to see how bad you really are. So go do this bad thing type of thing. Obviously, this is, we're doing good things here. Uh, but, but he, you know, God tests us, you know, don't think that you're going to follow along and it's just going to, like I said, be pixie dust and rainbows all the time. You have to really wrestle with your own self. It lays bare who you are and the just wimp that you really are and the weakness. And so you have to face yourself. 
A lot of people don't want to do that. I don't like to do it. I mean, to look at who you really are, because you really don't know who you are. That's why you argue with yourself. It's like, what do you mean? Am I arguing with myself? What's going on in here? You know, I feel you feel like a schizophrenic. You know, like I don't want to get up out of bed. I feel like you know, it's like what is it? But that's that's the battle of the flesh, right? You have this renewed spirit in you. You're a new creation, but you're trapped. You're trapped, and it's. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with all this. <laughs> I just love it, though. It's so beautiful. It's just such... That's why I wanted to talk on this, because it's so... These, like, cute little basic, you know, felt board uh, Sunday school stories, right? But there's just so much meaning. And as God teaches us and leads us along, uh, it just, um, you know, it grows... It's like those little balls... Where you open it up and it's like it's this big, you know, size of your fist, and you pull it apart, right? And it's just, and it's like a beach ball size. That's what the, the word of God and walking with God is like. So, uh, this is where we get the Sabbath. So it starts out, no man go to display. So, prepare ahead of time. Bake what you're gonna bake. Cook what you're gonna cook. Rest. And so then we get to seventeen. So they keep on journeying, and they're moving. There's no water. And so, the, again, they run out of water in verse 2. Therefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt Yahweh? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So again, they're like, Why are you trying to kill us? You know, and sometimes I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever felt like God was trying to kill me. Maybe sometimes. But, you know, because it's not an easy journey. And there's these ups and these downs. And he makes them, you know, suffer to really see what's inside of them. So, Yehovah says to Moses, uh, well, actually four. Moses cried unto Yehovah saying, what shall I do unto these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And Yehovah said unto Moses, go on before the people Take with thee the elders of Israel, and take thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, and take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand there before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. It's interesting, he did it in the sight of the elders. I don't know if it was far enough away that the people couldn't see it. Um, I find that interesting, though. What does it mean? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe he wanted the people to be able to uh, trust the elders and, and, and submit to them and acquiesce to them. So it's interesting. Seven, and he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because the children means uh, uh, tempt, um, bitterness and tempting because the children of Israel, because they tempted Yehovah saying, is Yehovah among us or not? You know, so they, boy, you know, they say, would to God that we had died. Why is God trying to kill us? Is God even among us? You know, again, like I said, you get into tough situations, and I, I have to be careful myself to not judge, not be critical of these people, because, you know, you get into tough situations, and, and a lot of times your knee-jerk flesh reaction is, why aren't you doing anything, God? You know, What's the problem here? You know, why? And, and you immediately put the blame on God. And it's like, 
But the reality is, the truth is, no, we're in the situations we're in because we've chosen to go there for better or for worse, for good or for bad. You could have stayed in Egypt. I want to stay in Egypt, stay in Egypt. But if you're going to take this road and take ownership of taking this road, nobody ever guaranteed you that it's going to be easy. No one God didn't guarantee them anything except they're going to get to the land. But only if they really did what they were supposed to along the way, which requires such hard work on yourself and on their own minds and in their own lives. And so they say, is God even among us? Right? You know, I've, and I felt the same way. It's like in this wilderness journey of going through uh, the world. It's like, where are you, God? It's like um, Gideon threshing grain in the wine press, you know. We've heard the stories of our forefathers, but we don't see any of this. Where is any of it? You know, the truth is it is there if we just, if we look and we keep our eyes open. And again, like Gideon... Um, the right thing to do and for us, the right thing for him to do is to say, you know what? I'm threshing grain in this wine vat because of the sins of my fathers. Okay, it is what it is. Me whining and complaining isn't going to do anything. The only thing that's going to do anything if I take action in my own life, which is what he did, right? Granted, the angel came and he kind of had a leg up. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe all of us could have that opportunity. I don't know. You know what I mean? But instead of feeling like a victim, instead if we would take ownership of those things in the past and the things in our own lives and then make the changes that need to be changed and accept the consequences that come with it, that's where things can actually start to happen and God can start to move and we can be a powerful force. Otherwise, we eat ourselves from the inside out, right? We attack the leaders. Because that's what they did, right? They go after the leadership and they wear them down. And so God has to do these dramatic things that then teach us all kinds of good lessons. But it comes at a cost, you know, there's a price to be paid. People end up dying eventually along the way because of their sins. You know, it's serious stuff. And so it's a good road. It's a road fraught with blessing and amazing things and growth and uh, life and health and all these things. But it is a double-edged sword. That if you don't, if you try to walk the road to the land of promise without the right spirit and without the right heart and without humility, the ground will devour you. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just, I don't, it's crazy to me. I think it's just awesome. So I hope this is making a little bit of sense. So they get water. He strikes it. And then you get the, the Amalekites. So we'll just finish up this last little bit here where um, uh, right after they tempt God saying, and I find it interesting that all of a sudden, it's, it, it almost seems like well, all of a sudden you just jump to Amalek, uh, Amalek uh, we're in 17 verse 8. Then Amalek uh, came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. So what kind of happens right away? So they come out of Egypt they murmur, they complain, they tempt God, they do all these things, and immediately the, their enemies 
come and start to attack them. And I don't think that's coincidental. I think it's, it's, it's a cause and effect. They start to um, disobey God. They start to question God. And so their enemies come and start to attack them. And, and, and I don't think it's any coincidence that God allows and or uses uh, the enemies of Israel to discipline them for their, for their sins, i.e. us, you know. We're not just reading this. this we got to extrapolate this out into our own lives. So, but God is always there to protect his people. And he says, um, 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on his one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Yehovah said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called the name of it Yehovah Nisi, for he said, Because Yehovah has sworn that Yehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So that is this week's Torah portion. Hope it was a blessing, and um, hopefully we can learn from it, apply it to our lives, and uh, grow and walk this path of uh, paths of righteousness that God has given us with all the blessings therein. But it's not it's it's a it's a meaningful path, and it's a path full of blessings. But it's not an easy path, you know. That I think. Especially, I think, in Christianity, <laughs> uh, you know, you, at least I did, and I even remember, like, trying to witness to people. I mean, like, if you just believe in Jesus, everything will be peaches and cream and awesome, and they'll take everything away. And it's like, no, you're still the, <laughs> the same wretched person you were before, but, but now, you, now you can actually change because now you know the path. Now you have God's Spirit to lead and to teach you and to guide you so that you can actually get out of Egypt and then start taking the right path and doing what's right. But it's still not easy. You still got to fight Amalek. You still got to gather food when you're supposed to. You got to rest when you're supposed to. You got you to put this into practice in every facet and dimension and moment of your life. It's like as soon as Shabbat ends, you got to be getting ready and preparing for the next one because all of a sudden Friday morning will roll around and you're like, ah, storm's coming. I need gas. I need la la la. You know, what are we going to eat? And, uh, but there's meaning. There's fulfillment. There's purpose. There's life. Uh, it's not empty because the truth is everything of just life leads to not a whole lot, really. You know, very few people leave any lasting impact that anybody remembers, you know. And so, 
put your time, put your efforts, me included, into those things which are lasting, building God's kingdom. So, anyway, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and this Shabbat and your word and your truth. Um, again, just work it in us, work it through us. Give us the strength, give us the motivation, give us the discipline, give us all those things that we need that your spirit does provide that we may be lights, that we may be a witness, that we may show forth your truth, that there is paths of righteousness to walk in that lead you to the promised land and goodness and fulfillment and not just the easy path, the path of immediate gratification of just being a slave and getting paid and fed for that. But there's no meaning. It's not, there is no positive end. It's just death. So lead us in your paths of righteousness, Father. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah.